0: Hey guys Uh, thank you all for coming Um, so I'm going to read two sections of the book and then we'll do a little Q&A if anyone has questions Um, so I would advise that you spend this time thinking of your questions Um, you'll read the book later it's fine Um, so I'm actually just going to start at the very beginning um, so you don't need to know anything Lorelai and Zoe lie about going to see the band It is, as usual, Zoe's idea. She's the one who pulls a flyer down on her way to geometry and slips it to Lorelei as she walks up the aisle to her seat. When Lorelei unfolds it, she recognizes it right away. She's been seeing the posters and ignoring them for weeks. This one is printed on salmon-colored copy paper. On it, two figures lean against one another in silhouette. Their heads are thrown back and their guitars are raised ecstatically. They're surrounded by lazy hand-drawn doodles of stars and spirals and peace signs and pot leaves. The trouble at the Roxy, it says. Zoe has scrawled across the back. We're totally going, and I will make you talk to him. (laughs) Zoe's parents are less strict than Lorelei's, but they're unpredictable, and the girls have never done anything like this before. Lying will make everything easier, Zoe says. They'll say they're going to a movie. Her mom will drop them off. They'll walk to the Roxy and back again when it's over. No one will ever have to know. Anxiety tugs at Lorelei on the drive over, up until they get out of the car, and Mrs. Sarouche drives away, turning a corner and falling out of sight. It's only as she and Zoe start walking toward the venue that her worry blossoms into something sweet-centered and sharp-edged with thrill. Los Angeles is too big to navigate altogether. Instead, Lorelei has learned it as a network of neighborhoods, like stepping stones that lead from one to the next. The next... They started out miles west of here in Venice where the air is heavy with ocean water and everything is crusted in a fine layer of salt. Mrs. Sarouche took the 405 to the 10 and then La Cienega north for miles all of it flashing by too fast and black to see. Now Sunset Boulevard is wide and grungy illuminated mostly by neon signs and white marquee lights. Lorelei likes how strange it is dark and then shining like a mouthful of unfamiliar gleaming teeth. It's a hot September, and the air smells like diesel and exhaust, mineral and dry. The bigness of the night makes her skin feel small, so Lorelei tries to take up space. She stands up straight and sh- throws her shoulders back. Even her clothes are asking her to play a part tonight. Her floral print baby doll dress, soft as it, move, it moves against the tops of her thighs. Her hair is loose and long against her neck and shoulders, a shifting cascade of honey blonde. Zoe let her borrow a beat-up leather jacket, which makes her feel tough and safe. The pair of enormous, sour-faced bouncers at the entrance to the venue cross the backs of the girls' hands with thick black X's to mark that they aren't even trying to pretend that they're 21. (laughs) And they they get drink tickets in exchange for a $10 cover. The first thing they do when they get inside is sneak into the bathroom to scrub off the X's and put on their faces. Zoe holds Lorelei's chin and pencils a thick, confident line at the arced rim of her eyelid. Then she turns Lorelai's head to admire the effect. You're going to look so tough, she breathes. Lorelai widens her eyes and rolls them upward, letting Zoe work on her lower lashes. He'll never recognize you like this. Isn't that a bad thing? Lorelai asks. <laughs> she licks her lips and tastes the thick wax of crimson glow lipstick. I mean, if he only likes how I look tonight. It's not like she's ever really talked to Chris, a senior and the lead singer of The Trouble. She's a sophomore. That he remembers her and wants to see her again is too much to hope for. She loves Zoe's optimism, but that doesn't mean she trusts it. Not necessarily. Zoe has an older sister, which means a closet full of hand-me-downs that smell faintly of clove cigarettes, a working knowledge of the last 10 years in pop music, and this particular brand of mysterious wisdom. Lorelai's older brothers have never given her more than chin-jerk nods when she passes them in the hallways at school. Tonight's the night he sees you, you know, that he realizes who you really are. Then when you run into each other at school and you're all shy and stuff, you'll seem extra mysterious. Like, who's that girl with the secret life? What kind of cool shit does she do on weekends that I don't know about? I don't do anything on weekends, Lorelai says. She kicks a converse against the bathroom wall. Unless hanging out with Oma counts as mysterious. Mentioning her grandmother seems like a bad omen, like it might conjure her somehow. He doesn't have to know that, Zoe reminds her. She turns away to put on lipstick, a hot pink shade that brings out the yellow undertones of her olive skin. It looks weird on purpose, cool and easy and knowing. Lorelei regards her own baby face in the mirror, focusing on the round curves of her cheeks. The makeup makes her features stand out cartoonishly. She looks like she's just a little girl playing dress-up. She wraps one arm around Zoe's waist and leans her head onto her bony shoulder. Zoe smells like rose oil and secret baby powder deodorant. Her warm skin is almost masked, but not quite. Look at us, Zoe says with triumphant satisfaction, butting her chin against the top of Lorelei's head. We look like at least 18. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, and I didn't mark this page, so I have to find it. Uh, But I can tell you in the meantime uh, two things, one of which is that... So in between that and what I'm going to read you guys... they go to the show uh the band plays she talks briefly to this hot lead singer of the high school band that she's obsessed with um and she and zoe go home and they have a conversation zoe's like oh maybe you'll date him and maybe like eventually you'll sing with him in the band and that'd be cute um and she has this dream where she sort of she dreams uh the memory of her grandmother when she was very little telling her that she was never allowed to sing um so then this is the next morning uh she's at home she's about to take a shower um and i Chose this particular passage. Um, I wrote a lot of this uh, in a writing workshop through Writing Workshops LA, which is amazing if anyone's looking for writing classes. Um, and I, I brought in sort of the beginning of this, and like no one else in the class was writing YA. <laughs> Um, And everyone was very polite about it. They're like, "Okay, this seems like a nice story about teenagers. Um, And there were people there writing, like uh, Laura's here somewhere, a story about a sorority girl serial killer. So you can imagine, like, no one thought my story was that cool. Um, But I remember bringing this in, and everyone was like, oh, so this is weird. Um, So I thought I'd read you guys a weird part. (laughs) Lorelei takes advantage of no one being home to indulge in a long shower. The ancient water heater warms up slowly. So she runs the water in the tub while she strips off her clothes and brushes her hair. The bathroom fills with pale, thick steam, obscuring her body in the mirror. It's like being surrounded by cottony clouds high up in the sky. She breathes in deep lungfuls of air, of it almost as much water as air. She takes 20 luxurious minutes to wash her hair and deep condition it. She shaves her legs, working slowly over the knobs and valleys of her knees and ankles. She sings while she does it. Humming tunes from last night and a song Zoe played while they were getting dressed this morning. It's an old, absent habit, but last night's dream makes her conscious of it. She wonders if she hums like this at Zoe's or at school and doesn't realize it. She wonders whether humming counts or if Oma only meant singing. Lorelai is curious now. Something just under her skin makes itself known like an itch but a pleasant one. Oma's prohibition was explicitly about singing around other people, and she's all alone in an empty house. There's no reason not to sing now. Lorelei feels the itch resolve itself in the back of her throat, the seat of her voice. She decides to let it rip. It feels good, like the vibration of the sound is relaxing each of her muscles in turn. Melody runs hot in her veins, and when she sings up high, up into her nose, her whole head buzzes with the resonance of her breath. Lorelei turns off the water and steps out of the shower. She wraps herself in a towel and turns one quick, dramatic twirl, getting really into the belt of a song she half-remembers. Why haven't I ever done this before, she thinks. When she opens the bathroom door, her father is standing outside it, glassy-eyed. Petra, he asks. No, Lorelei says. No, Dad, it's Lorelei. It's just me. Lorelai doesn't look enough like her mother for the mistake to make sense. She wonders if something is seriously wrong with him. He's pale and clammy and confused, white except where he's flushed red. She's never seen him like this before. His displays of deep feeling are usually reserved for her mother, who responds by keeping a cool distance. Now he looks possessed. I heard Petra, he says again. I heard her singing. I heard her singing for me. (laughs) That was just me, dad. Lorelei has never heard her mother sing. It's impossible to imagine anything as lush and sweet as music coming from her mother's mouth. Petra he insists coming in a step closer he reaches out a hand and his fingertips brush against her collarbone the top of her shoulder they don't find what they're looking for he starts to look past her like her mother is there hidden in the bathroom steamy air Oma appears behind him in the hallway she seems taller somehow all of her authority gathered up and held out in front of her Henry she says Lorelei has never heard this tone from her grandmother before it's rough and low and primal Her father blinks once, twice, and steps back. It isn't her. He turns to Oma. He looks like a child, helpless and exhausted. I know, he says. Henry and Oma regard each other. Lorelei, get dressed, Oma says. She still sounds commanding, but whatever bone-deep power infused her words a moment ago is gone, and she sounds only as bossy as she usually does, which is still plenty. Henry? Okay, he says, okay. Oma um, disappears down the hall, but her father doesn't move. He turns to face Lorelei, His eyes find hers and then flinch away. I'm sorry, he says. You sounded like mom, Lorelei says. Water drips from her damp hair down, the, down her neck and the line of her spine. She shivers against the cool air and clutches her towel closer. You said. I didn't mean. He stops and frowns. He's staring fiercely at his shoes. It's been a long time since she sang for me. She used to, though. She did, he says. He smiles. The mention of her mother's voice instantly has him distant again. She, all the time. The memory stretches, extends itself, and captures him. Then it turns painful, and his expression turns dark. I thought Elma talked to you about this, he says, about not doing that. She did, Lorelai says. She just said not in front of people, and no one was home when I got here, so I thought, you have to be more careful than that, he says. There's something burning behind his eyes, the embers of a fire kept banked for years. For the first time in her life, Lorelei is frightened of him. "'Okay,' she huffs and turns towards her room. "'I have to go get dressed. Lorelei. She turns back. He looks small, still, standing in the long hallway with his arms at his sides, palms turned up like he's begging. "'Don't go messing with things you don't understand,' he says finally. "'Please just don't.' "'I won't,' Lorelei promises.' Her father rarely asks for anything. He wouldn't now if it wasn't important, right? I won't sing anymore, she says again. Instantly, though, she can feel that her promise is a lie. Last night, she was wreathed in the band's songs, crowned by them. Chris came over to talk to her, and he looked at her like he was thinking about her, only her, And singing just now felt like letting something long-dormant inside herself put down roots and send up a stalk, a tendril, a bud. If music is magic, she wants to fall under its spell. She wants it so badly that it's easy to pretend the wanting is all that matters. Lorelei passes her mother's little office on the way to her room. Petra does the accounting for a fashion conglomerate headquartered nearby. She works long hours in Century City and brings the paperwork home with her. Her door is usually closed. Today, however, her mother is sitting in the middle of the room in her straight backed wooden chair, the door half open, ajar as if forgotten. She catches Lorelei's eye as she goes by. If her father looked blank and hollow, furious and then pleading, her mother is stricken, touched by an emotion too deep to name. She shakes her head just once as Lorelei passes by and draws a hand across her mouth and presses there to keep it closed. Hi, Zoe. (laughs) Um, Did I curse? (laughs) I don't think I cursed. My small neighbor is here. (laughs) Does anyone have any questions? Told you guys to think of questions. (laughs) Um, I have a question. Yeah. Um, Tell me about the readership of young adults books. Oh, boy. Um, so if anyone couldn't hear the question, it was about the, sort of the readership of young adult novels um, from my Aunt Shelly, who traveled from Utah to be here, which is awesome. <laughs> um... <laughs> and it's actually uh, sort of funny actually uh, if you're interested in this subject uh, I actually just wrote a piece for the millions about this um, about who's reading young adult novels because the answer is increasingly adults Um, they're technically it's for uh, ages like 12 to 17 I think is like on this book um, which many reviewers on Goodreads have noted is not appropriate Um, (laughs) content in this one uh but yeah, so so like technically it's marketed towards people who are in sort of middle and high school. Um but I think they just did a Nielsen just put out a study saying like eighty percent um of the Middle novels are purchased and read by adults for themselves. So don't feel embarrassed that you're here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah? What this scene? Oh boy. <laughs> um this is good. I got a better telling this origin story because I'm bad at it. Um because the answer is that I didn't uh for like a long time, i didn't know that I was writing this book. Um, I was writing a book of short stories um and uh sort of a, it was about a bunch of people who were like making a movie together, and they all had these superpowers that were like messing up their lives um or like there power some kind of power that was like messing up their lives um, and so originally like i don't know this was like about a, a bartender It was told from the point of view of a bartender who met laurel while she was singing in a bar and fell in love with her um and i brought it into that writing workshops la class and one of the guys was like if this is a story about this girl why is a man telling it <laughs> it's like that's a great question it's a fantastic question um and went home and started writing i was like well if she's going to tell the story then i got to like talk about how she figured out what her powers were um and, and and really, I backed into it. As soon as I started writing it, I was like, "Oh, I'm writing this story, and it's like about teenage girls and like coming into themselves and in adolescence in Los Angeles and like family, all this." Stuff. I was like, "Oh, this is everything I care about." <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that was like ten thousand words into what was supposed to be a short story that was about something else entirely. <laughs> so, tricked myself is the answer. <laughs> Pro tip for any aspiring novelists out there: <laughs> Amanda Lewis. Can you talk a little about the role that Los Angeles plays in your work? The role that Los Angeles, the role that Los Angeles plays in her work? Yeah, sure. Um, I love Los Angeles. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Um, it's funny. Like I, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because. Uh, one of my favorite writers like shouted out the book on twitter which was like the best francesca Leoblock, block um, no, who's like the poet laureate of los angeles <laughs> um, like true and truly like when i was like 12 mm, 10 i think um, I, like, got Weetsy Bat out of the library and read it, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is the city that I live in. Someone wrote a book about the city I live in. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I'd never read anything like it in my life, and um, I think like, truly, that moment was like, oh, this is possible, and this is exactly what I want to do. Um, and I just think that, like, Los Angeles... As I was driving around today, I was, like, in Pasadena, and I was just like, this city is heartrending to me. <laughs> I just love it. I love the freeways, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I love the way that being here makes me feel and all I ever want to do is like try and convey to everyone in the entire world how being here makes me feel. <laughs> so that's the role of Los Angeles in my work. Erin Shipley. Uh, <laughs> I know I know all of your names. <laughs> Great to be here. Uh, how, like, how do you approach writing for an audience that you are not anymore in as much as like how you write, like, even, like, the technology? You, really, you know, like, how do you yeah. write kids, not good stuff, it's obviously an adult book, but, like... To the question, again, sorry, I should... I, yeah. how, to, like, how am I authentic to the teens? Yeah. Um, I like to think that I have the emotional bandwidth of a teenager, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, uh, I spend a lot of time on Tumblr. <laughs> um, truly, like, this is the answer to this question. It's, like, I, I listen... I listen to the music I listened to when I was a teenager. Um, I spend a lot of time on Tumblr. Occasionally I ask Twitter, like, if any teens are out there and they can... There's actually there's a reference in this book... Um, where Zoe says that Laurel looks... Like, she's dressed up for Halloween, and Zoe's like, you look like a troll doll. Um, and there was, like, days of back and forth between my editor and my agent and me <laughs> and, like, everyone on Twitter about whether someone born in 1990, I don't want to know what would... Uh, <laughs> would know what a troll doll was. Um, yeah, but I will also actually say that... Um, this book in particular, uh, Lord's Pure Heroine had just come out when I was writing it and like, it's an incredible album if you want to remember what it feels like to be 16 and like sitting in the passenger seat of the car of the dude you're just in love with and you're like, this is sort of like being in a room with him. <laughs> We're like in a place and it's alone. So, yeah. Yeah. I will say my daughter has said reading your blog makes her incredibly homesick for us so I think you're a great... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is, do you think this would be classified as adult if you were writing about boys? Instead of girls? <laughs> hey yo <laughs> uh, the question was, would this be why if it was about boys instead of girls? Um <laughs> that's a super loaded question, and I'm not hesitant to answer it because of that. I'm just thinking about it. um, I actually don't necessarily, uh, actually I think that what would make it, cause I, I have thought about this a lot also, like especially when I was trying to sell it um, when I was trying to get an agent for it, like, a bunch of young adult agents were like, no, 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 no this is an adult literary novel and then, uh, why uh, adult literary agents would be like, this is YA, what are you talking about? Um, and it was very frustrating to fall between the two um, and it's, so I've spent a lot of time recently, uh, thinking about what makes it different, um and it's totally possible I don't, I'm do trying to think of like a boyhood coming of age novel um, but I think actually really if I'd give okay, yeah sure sure catch her in the rye there you go <laughs> kind of famous <laughs> no but like recently like a, because, because there's tons because I've well because there's tons of I, there's tons of like uh, uh, books about women's coming of age that have come out around the same time but that have been you know classified Um, I mean in a way I think like Emma Klein's The Girls is a really good example of a it's that cut out the frame narrative like that's a young it's essentially a young adult novel Robin Wasserman who is a YA author wrote a book called The Girls that's a YA novel with a frame narrator so like I think if it had a frame narrator on it who was like I remember being 16 (laughs) Um, 100% could have been a literary novel I love publishing and genre classifications are BS (laughs) Uh, yeah. So then you said you didn't know you were writing a novel this time. I uh-huh. now you know you're writing a novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awful. She <laughs> <laughs> asked <laughs> how it was different now that I know that I'm writing novels. Totally awful. Um I'm like not even lying about that. Uh I I wrote so I wrote this um and had a relatively like blessed and easy time of it. And wrote a second book which was about werewolves which no one will ever read because it is so bad um <laughs> truly horrible uh and really put the fear of god in me when i got like 60,000 words into it and uh which is uh, most of the way through a book and was like oh this is garbage like this is terrible and i wrote this whole thing and i had no idea <laughs> um, like i thought i would know but i didn't know uh and then I got like hit by a bolt of lightning, and I wrote uh, what will actually be my second book. You guys should all be back here May 2017. <laughs> it's called Grace and the Fever. It's about a boy band. Um, and it was super lucky, and it was really lovely. And now I'm trying to write like what I hope will be my third published novel. And it's I, every time I like open the document, I'm like, I don't know how to write a book. This is a joke. <laughs> um, I, someone, and I don't remember who, um, said... Uh, someone asked some like very prolific author, you know, in an interview, like, is it easier, you know, once you get to a certain place? And and he was like, you know, the the tenth book doesn't know you wrote the other nine. <laughs> um, and I think about that every time I open the document and have to start writing the third one. <clears throat> yeah. Any other? Gendelbach. You write write a lot about music without getting very specifically into genre or, you know, it it doesn't resemble anything like music criticism, what I've read of you. Um, How do you think about that process and how does that fit into other areas you might revise about, like, what kind of feeling you want to give the reader versus getting a tune in your head? Oh, yeah. Um, So I actually almost abandoned this book um, when I got to... The, the concert scene like it's like the second scene in the book right they get to the concert and then she's listening to the concert and I was like this I can't do this at all <laughs> doubt is like a big part of my process um <laughs> everyone's I guess uh but I really almost abandoned the book I was like this is stupid like writing about music is stupid um no one does it well and I this whole book is supposed to be about music like that's just it's not going to work it's a, it's a failed project um And eventually kind of came to the thing of like okay um, I can I think I can like kind of you know I have to write about feelings anyway that's like requisite in a novel so I think I can write about how music makes me feel and how how it makes these characters feel Um, it's something I actually talked about a lot with my uh, editor uh, who is a musician herself and she was like I'm so grateful there's no song lyrics in this book because authors always write terrible song (laughs) lyrics and it's really (laughs) embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so that's that's my my approach to writing about music is like it's um it's really interesting so both both of my books are like about young women and music uh and if you'd asked me like what i thought i was going to write about i never would have said that um which is hilarious because i spent as gina extremely well knows my entire adolescence (laughs) like watching band practice or wishing i was watching band practice um but yeah I, i don't know um it wouldn't have been what I said I was going to write about, but I love it so much, and I, and I don't know anything. I think it helps that I don't know anything about it, um, truly, because, like, I can't write anything technical about music. I don't have anything technical to say. It's just, like, here's what it feels like inside of my body when this happens. <laughs> um, there are a couple of song lyrics in the second book, and I, sorry, young neighbors had to get drunk to write them. <laughs> um, <laughs> literally came home drunk one night and was like, you know what I should do right now? <laughs> I'm really cool to hang out with, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn. Oh yeah, so well I've gonna ask you if you were a singer. Yeah. I sang in seventh grade chorus, uh and eighth grade chorus, I think. Yeah, and then my second question, do you like Chris's band? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the question was do i like chris's band um that's yes uh chris chris is the guy that so that lorelei uh, has a crush on he's the lead singer of the trouble who she goes to see um i loved chris's band when i was 16 <laughs> yeah I, I i was i mean you know i loved chris's band when i was 16 <laughs> and i have and i still have a real soft spot that's uh, like um I have a real soft spot for LA, obviously, and I have a real soft spot for like the dumb music that sixteen year old LA boys make. (laughs) Not for sixteen year old boys, I shouldn't clarify. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let it can we end on something else, please. (laughs) Nadine, thank you. Yeah. Um, what music did I listen to while I was writing? Um, Lord, pure Heroine, like on repeat forever. Um, I would really. I was living in my parents' house. Shout out my parents for letting them live with, letting me live with them. <laughs> uh, and also for bringing the wine. <laughs> There's wine up here. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was living with my parents, and I would like walk to yoga every day and like listen to Lord on the walk back and forth, and sort of be like, "All right, what am I going to write tomorrow?" Um, and then I listened to Everclear, a lot of Everclear <laughs> wow. um, music, essentially made by sixteen year old boys in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, I listened to a lot of Rilo. Ky- it's funny; I have a very distinct memory of like listening to a lot of Rilo Kiley and being like, "I wish I could tell Lorelai about Rilo Kiley." <laughs> <my God. laughs> <Like, laughs> she would love this so much and I'm not usually a person who like thinks about her I don't think about my characters as if they're real as a rule I'm not like into that kind of a thing Um, but it was so clear she wouldn't know who they were and I wanted so much for her to know who they were because Jenny Lewis is like also I think a poet laureate of Los Angeles and also like teenage girl feelings (sighs) alright last call (laughs) oh speaking of which uh, if there are no more questions I will sign books for all of you lovely people um and then I am planning on going to the Dresden, which is just down the block. We have a small private room reserved, courtesy my friend Gina Zalvak. Um And they'll be drinking and hanging out, and I would love to see all of your faces there. Um, the room's in the front on the right. Thanks, Amanda.
1: <laughs>
0: all of my friends are producers. <laughs> of one kind or another. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.